Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, this is the word of the Lord. More to be desired than gold, sweeter also than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Let's pray. Father, we come humbly before your word this morning. It is a gift, Lord, that we confess we do not deserve, but we thank you for it, and we thank you that by your spirit we can understand it. We thank you that it reveals to us your will for salvation in Jesus as a gift of your grace through faith in him. We thank you, Jesus, that you entered into history and have spoken to us. Lord, we need you to teach us by your spirit today. I pray, God, that you would get me out of the way, that, that I would decrease and Christ would increase, that you would teach your people and that, your, that you would guard me from error. Father, we pray that you instruct us this morning by your word. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what do you think? How, how should you view the law of God as a Christian? What's your relationship to it? Are we under grace and not under law so it doesn't matter anymore? That's surely not what Jesus is saying. Yet we as Christians sometimes struggle, though, with law and grace. And I want to be sure this morning that we're really clear on this issue. On the outset, I want to be sure that we understand that the law is not opposed to grace. Grace is not opposed to law. We run into serious error when we pit the two against each other. So let me put it in the most shocking way I know how so that we'll remember it. No law, no grace. When you think of the cross, what do you think about? You're right to think of love, sure. But do you think of law? You should. What happened there on Calvary was the eternal Son of God endured the penalty prescribed by the holy law of God for the sin of man. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. That was a legal thing that went down. Your, Your righteousness is a legal thing that's been given to you. That justification... Jesus took that death. It's finished. The law is no longer hanging over us and condemning us. Hallelujah. Praise God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But law remains as a rule of life, doesn't it? It's the pattern God intends for his creatures. So is the law good? Of course. Can it save you? Absolutely not. Should we as Christians keep the law? We better. The purpose of grace is to enable us to keep the law. Have you ever thought about it that way before? That the purpose of grace is to enable us to keep the law. Maybe maybe you haven't thought of it in those terms, 
But that's true, isn't it? I mean, weren't we deficient? Weren't we lousy image bearers of God? It wasn't impossible in our flesh to do anything that was pleasing in God's sight. Weren't even our, our good deeds as filthy rags in his sight? Didn't we need to be redeemed? What did that redemption afford us? Forgiveness and salvation and everlasting life. But doesn't it change us too? Doesn't it change us? Bring us more into conformity with his desires and intentions in our lives? Grace enables us to live the pattern of life God intends for his creatures who bear his image. This is where I have an obligation as, as a minister of the gospel and as a pastor who genuinely cares for the well-being of everyone here this morning. It's one of those preachy things to say that needs to be said, okay? I say this with love but with urgency and seriousness. If the grace that you claim to have received is not making you love God's law more and, and desiring to obey it, then you may not have received grace. His law is not burdensome to his people, he says, 1 John 5. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, you heard me tell, tell the children just a moment ago, don't, don't, don't hear that the wrong way, right? Jesus doesn't say, I will love you if you keep my commandments. It's not what he said. If you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. Love looks like obedience. Love looks like obedience. Obedience to what? His law. It matters to the Christian. God's law matters to the Christian. Here's the main idea of the sermon this morning. God expects perfect obedience, and none of us is given it. That puts us in a tight spot, doesn't it? But thankfully, we have the word of God that shows us how that dilemma is resolved and how we should live in light of its resolution. I rarely have more than two points, but it's happy hour this morning, two for one. Okay, so I've got four points, all right, and here they are. They all have to do with obedience because this passage that we're in is about obedience, and all of the Sermon on the Mount has to do with obedience. So here's your points. One, Christ obeyed. Christ obeyed. He had to. Somebody had to, didn't they? And no one born of Adam's race could do it. The lawgiver has to be the law keeper, or there's no hope for us. Christ obeyed. Point number two, Christ has a mission to be obeyed by all nations. That's why he came. He came to set creation back on its intended course. The point number three, Christ commands us to teach all nations to obey. As we said, isn't it? Those were his last words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Don't we confess that? Right? What did he say when he left them? He said, bring them all in. Call people, all people everywhere. Bring them in and teach them to obey all that I have commanded. He wants the obedience of all people everywhere. And lastly, Christ is, this is the last point, point number four, Christ is the perfect obedience that God requires. And you say, whew, glad it's not you, aren't you? <laughs> good thing it's not up to us. That's good news. 
The bad news is that God expects nothing less than perfect obedience, and none of us has given it. The good news is that Jesus has, and it's only by his righteousness imputed to us by grace through faith that we can meet the holy requirements of God. The standard didn't get moved. The bar didn't get lower. The gate didn't get wider. Jesus paid it all. Again, the lawgiver had to be the law keeper. So point number one, Christ obeyed. Look at verse 17 again. He says there, do, you think, do, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come, not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. Jesus says, don't even let it enter your mind. Don't think for a second that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I'm not lowering the bar. And this is important because if Jesus claims to be the Messiah and contradicts the law of God or the prophets that prophesied his coming, then he has proven to be a liar. That's significant. We need to pay, pay attention to that. That would prove he's not the Messiah the prophets prophesied would come. But Jesus never comes into conflict with the law of God. He never teaches contrary to it. He obeyed it perfectly. All of it. In Galatians 4, Paul says Jesus was born of Mary, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. No law, no grace, remember? No law, no grace. How are we redeemed for having broken God's law? By Christ obeying it, and he had to obey it perfectly. God requires perfect obedience. And obedience to the whole law. Okay, not just parts of it, not just the big ten. All of the laws, remember, are summed up in what Jesus says, love of God, love for neighbor. Remember, Jesus says that. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. These are not substitutes. They're not replacements. Okay? He's saying all this stuff, all of this stuff is supposed to do this, to teach you to do this. This is my will for people in the world, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and for them to love their neighbor as themselves. And, and all of this back here, this is all an outworking of how that works. So when we, when we look at all those other laws, we say, well, they don't really pertain to us. Well, do we have these two? Love God, love neighbor? Well, then we just got all of it, didn't we? We'll go into that a little bit more next week, but stay with this for now, okay? Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law. Which law? All of it. Establish that. He didn't come to abolish it. He came to do what? Fulfill it. Okay, now, fulfill doesn't mean, like, put it to bed. It, it means to bring it to completion. To fulfill it, to bring it to carry out to completion. He says the heavens and the earth, these objects of permanence, will sooner pass away than these things be entirely fulfilled. And, and why? why? Why is it God's desire that these things be fulfilled? Well, because it's, it's his will for his creatures. It's the pattern of life he intends for them to follow, and God always gets his way. Amen? It'd be bad news if he didn't. God always gets his way. 
What's God's will for his image bearers? That they be like him. That they be like him. That's what they were made to be. We'll get into that too in a second, but wrapping up this point, okay? Christ obeyed the whole law perfectly, and here's the kicker. It was his delight to do so. Let's not forget that. Don't miss that. It was his delight to do so because it was his delight to do whatever pleases the Father. You know, you don't imagine a, a, a bratty Jesus storming down from heaven with his arms crossed and a scowl on his face, you know, got to have to obey. It was his delight to obey. He didn't see righteousness as a chore. He didn't view God's law as a burden. Jesus loved the law, and so should his people. So should we. We should see, we should see it for what it is. Don't, don't we have that? Aren't we afforded that now by the, by the Holy Spirit? We can look at the law now through redeemed eyes of grace and see how it instructs us to praise Jesus for his righteousness and, and his complete obedience on our place, and it makes us want to be more like him. So that's point number two. Christ has a mission to be obeyed by all nations. And part of his fulfilling that Jesus is talking about is it's done in us. It's done in his disciples. Not as far as salvation is concerned, right? That's, that's all God from start to finish. That's all God from start to finish. But there's an aspect of Christ's fulfilling the law that takes place in and through his believers. That's a bold claim. I need to be able to back up with scripture, and I'm gonna, okay? If you go to Romans 8, if you have your Bible with you, you can flip, turn, turn with me there. Uh, Romans 8, 2 through 4. Uh, actually, we'll start at verse 1. I'm gonna go ahead and read. You can catch up. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. God desires obedience. I mean, we see that, right? We see that, don't we? His free gift of grace to us enables our obedience to him. That's how it happens. You know, that, our obedience glorifies God, and it's good for us, and it's good for others to see our ability to love God and love neighbor has been earned for us so that we would do it. That, 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 that's the shortest little uh, summary statement I can make there. Our ability to love God and neighbor has been earned for us so that we would do it. There's an ongoing aspect of Jesus' fulfilling the law that does take place in his people, his church. In Ezekiel 36, we see uh, God promises that one day he'll remove our hearts of stone, give us hearts of flesh, sprinkle us clean, and put his spirit in us, causing us to walk in his statutes, he says, and, and, and obeying his rules, being careful to obey his rules. And why does he say he's going to do that in Ezekiel 36? Just a few verses before that, we don't need to turn there now, but just a few verses before that, he says, so that, why, we're answering the question why, 
so that the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. That's why. In verse 18 here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, until heaven and earth pass away, not, not, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. What is to be accomplished? Jesus has a mission. What is that mission? For his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says so when he commands his people to pray that way, doesn't he? Didn't we pray that earlier? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we have no need to dream up or imagine what his will must be. He tells us. He tells us. Those who have believed on the Lord Jesus are forgiven for breaking his law, okay? But enabled by the Spirit to keep it. The gift and the blessing that that is to actually be what we've been made to be. Unbelievers do not have that luxury. We pray that they would repent, turn from their sin, and turn to Christ in faith. Forgiveness of sins, for, for, for redemption, and the glorious life that that affords his people. The, the glorious life we are able to enjoy. And y'all, if it doesn't feel glorious, let, let's, let's get together. <laughs> let's get together and remind each other of the gift we have received. I know we do it here every Sunday, okay? You have no reason for doubting the, the glorious and higher, God-pleasing life you have been given. To be able to recognize it as a gift. That is a, that is a prayer of mine for this people, that you would recognize that. Now, here's the question that I hope we've answered, but just so it really settles in, okay? Does God want his law kept? Does he have a concern for his law being kept? Yes. By whom? All, every single person made in the image of God. That's his intention for his creatures. What, what, of course, we need to establish, again, that I hope we have by now, but trying to make sure we nail it in tight, all right, is the only way that that's possible is by believing in the Lord Jesus and the transforming work and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So yes, more of that, right? Wouldn't we like more of that? Let, let's see some more of that in our world today, in the lives of those around us. Remember, the promise of a redeemer wasn't just about going to heaven one day, okay? It was about what God was going to do in the world. It was about him, not us. That's why point number three, Christ commands us to teach all nations to obey, Okay, point number three, Christ commands us to teach all nations to obey. It's what he said, right? Those were his words when he left, before his ascension. Those were his instructions, the marching orders that his disciples were left with. Go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and do what? Leave it there? Come to church on Sunday? Put, put a... Put a Jesus is my homeboy sticker on your bumper. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded. 
That's the Great Commission. Here's something that needs to be said, because I think, no, I don't think I know. I've seen it. I've seen this. I've seen this line get blurred. Friendship is not discipleship. You know, it it doesn't mean you can't befriend somebody and and be discipling. That's not what I'm saying, but they're not one and the same. Would you agree with me? Friendship is not discipleship. Discipleship is not merely spending time with someone and being a friend and a prayer partner or even an accountability partner. Discipleship is teaching obedience to King Jesus. That's what discipleship is. Teach them to obey all I have commanded. Why? Because it's the will of God that his image bears be like what he meant for them to be. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Okay? There's no kingdom without obedience. There's no king without authority. In fact, that's what Jesus bases the Great Commission on. Right? When he goes and tells them to go out and make disciples and, and, and baptize them, disciple them, teach, teach them to obey, he, he, he says first, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, again, I, I want to orient us to the kingdom of God preaching that takes place in the Sermon on the Mount. It's all over the place. It's what, that's what's in view. Okay, so we have, to, we have to grab that and, and see where this is falling in with this idea. This gospel, this good news we have to share with the world is good news of a kingdom, of Christ's rule and reign. That's good news for the whole world. That's good news for the whole world. Let me show you where else this language about fulfilling the law and the prophets pops up in the gospels. In Luke chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus says, The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist, until John, Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it, but it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for for one dot of the law to become void. That's the gospel the apostles preached. The good news of the kingdom. The kingdom has a ruler. His name is Jesus, and he has called all people everywhere to sweet surrender and submission to his authority. And he uses us to do that. Part of Jesus fulfilling the law is is him fulfilling it at us. We said that earlier. He expects obedience, and he enables obedience. God is so gracious to us that he he is always commanding what he wills and giving what he commands. commanding what he wills and giving what he commands. And so we have to be careful to know, we have to be careful to, to love and to teach and to uphold God's law and not, not diminish it in other people's sight. His law doesn't go away, it gets pronounced in the earth through people falling into this pattern that they've been remade as a new creature to, to live. Verse 19 says, therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of of heaven. Our attitude toward the law of God, y'all, is an indicator of our attitude toward God himself who gave it to us. You know, if we're kind of flippant about it and treating it lightly and and, and encouraging others to, to treat it lightly, we are treating God lightly. Closing out this point that Jesus commands us to teach the nations to obey. And what he says about anyone who relaxes the least of these, least in the kingdom. Here's the deal. The world sneers at the law of God, does it not? Why on earth would Christians do so? 
people who are called by his name. Jesus smiles at God's law, and so should we. We're to be like him. The fallen sneered his commands, but not as redeemed, not us. God has enabled us by the Spirit and because of Christ's sacrifice to love his law and to keep it. And Jesus says here that those who keep it and teach others to do the same are called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, I'm like, well, here's, here's, here's a Paul moment, right? Where there's a chance, you know, people might lose their minds and flip out and misunderstand, what, you know, what, what's, what's being said, what's being taught, what's being preached, okay? There's a chance someone may hear this and try to square it, in fact, with Paul's teaching on, on, on law and grace, and, and think that there's some sort of discrepancy. There's not. There's no discrepancy. But Paul says the law is a curse, right? Doesn't that in your mind? You know, he said that, didn't he? Didn't he say the law is a curse? Well, it is when you use it as a means of justification because it can't justify you. Everyone is cursed by the law and no one is saved by the law. So in that sense, it is, you know, it's... It's a curse. How can anyone be saved then if that's true? Well, here's our last point. You can't, you can't go home without this, okay? Christ alone is the perfection God requires. Christ alone is the perfection God requires. Clearly, Jesus didn't see the law as a, as a curse, and he's not disagreeing with Paul. So let's, let's make this work here, okay? In verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has a high view of the law. And so did Paul. So does Paul. They both teach, because the Holy Spirit teaches, that God demands absolute perfection. God expects perfect obedience, and none of, it has it. None of us has it. So that, what that want or that lack of perfect obedience should alert us to is our need and the means by which we get it. And it's not through the law. It, it, that, that bridge is burnt, right? We can't get to God through the law. That, that, that bridge is burnt, uh, got burnt in the garden, right? Can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. The law cannot save you. Works cannot save you. You cannot be good enough to get God. I think of uh, George Whitfield once said, uh, works, man, be saved by works? I'd sooner imagine climbing to the moon on a rope of sand. It's unthinkable is the idea there, right? It's unthinkable. So in that sense, the law is a curse. We're born under the curse of sin, and we are transgressors of the law, uh, uh, unable to keep it, and yet it still must be kept, in order to have peace and reconciliation with God. The law's got to be kept, so we need a substitute. Who will go for us? Who will be our hero? Who will deliver us? The only one that can keep the law for us is the one who gave it in the first place. And it has been kept. And his righteousness is ours through faith. Done deal. And all God's people said, amen. Right? So when Jesus says your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, that's in view, okay? That, that, that's in view. Their righteousness is not enough. He's not saying, you know, well, here's a good model. Like, they're almost there. If you can just pass them up, you'll be good to go. So he said, 
Only Christ is enough. God demands perfection, and only Christ has it. So Jesus isn't teaching moralism as a way to God. He's not teaching moralism as a way to God. He's not teaching uh, one thing and Paul was teaching another. They both held a high view of the law. In fact, in in, in Romans 3, uh, verse 28, Paul says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay, amen. Justification by faith alone. Okay, doing good. But it's not as though Paul believed the law was no use to a Christian. That's the point I want to make. Okay, just two verses later, he says, Do we then overthrow the law? By no means. We uphold, we establish the law. What, what's, what's Paul doing here? What, you know, this is an Old Testament. This is, new, this is post-cross, post-resurrection, post-ascension. This, this is New Testament. Christians, he's saying, we uphold the law. He says, we don't overthrow God's law by faith. Our faith causes us to observe his statutes, to walk in his ways, to live according to the pattern that he has set for us. So God's law is not irrelevant to us as Christians. It is in you, and you uphold it, and you teach others to do the same. Love God and love neighbor. Love God and love neighbor. How? You look at his law. That's what it was for. It shows you what that looks like. Now, here's the mistake Christians today often make in how they end up with a wrong view of God. We, we know now, looking back, right, and, and, and having the gift of the New Testament to us, we know that the Pharisees were the bad guys, right? The Pharisees were the bad guys. We know they were all legalistic and rule followers, and so people think rule following is wrong. But here's the thing. They didn't follow the rules. They made their own rules. Hear me on this. You can't look at the Pharisees and say, well, they were all about following the law and that was wrong, so we're not supposed to do that. That is to miss the point. The Pharisees were guilty of breaking the law, not keeping it. They were not guilty for keeping the law. God wasn't displeased with with them keeping the law, he's displeased with them breaking the law. He wasn't even displeased with them trying to keep the law. The problem was they just never did. They saw what they could not do in the flesh, and so they came up with things that they could do in the flesh and then pretended it was pleasing to God. And they laid that miserable burden on people's shoulders as if that was the means to salvation. That's what was wrong. They saw God's law as a hurdle or an obstacle to be overcome in order to get to God. Jesus saw God's law as a delight and a blessing. How do you see it? By default, and y'all know this, by default, we are wired this way. Everyone tries to base their standing with God on their own righteousness. That's the strategy. That's the, the modus operandi of every, every other religion in the world. Finding your own righteousness. That's the strategy of every other religion. Jesus says, I hate to burst your bubble, but your best is not good enough. Your best is not good enough. You must have a righteousness better than the most righteous person you know. And look around. None are righteous not even one. That's why the lawgiver had to be the law keeper. 
because he expects nothing less than perfect obedience and none of us has it. He does. He's holy, spotless, blameless, just in all his ways. And he condescended to us and became like us so that we could become like him. How should that awareness change us this morning? We come face to face with that reality. How, how should that change us? What should that do in our hearts and our lives and our minds and our spirits right now, sitting here? Right? We get too many hours between you and the sermon. It just starts to kind of fizzle out. And that's okay. We're all human. That's, you know? We, we pray that God would, would allow these things to, to sink in deep, that we would talk about them at home with our families throughout the week. We'll get there. Right? How should that awareness sit with us this morning? Knowing that we stand before a holy God wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. That's who you are. How does it sit with you? How does it sit with you to know that God judged Christ as guilty in your place? But he wasn't the one that was guilty. You were. He didn't break God's law. You did. But he did it anyway. Motivated by love, he took your penalty and gave you his perfect record. How does that sit with you? And also, too, with regard to how, how we view the law, what, what, do you, what do you do with that? You just take your get-out-of-jail-free card and hit the road? Or, or do you respond with love to the one who first loved you? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. God's law, as it turns out, has great significance for the Christian then. I hope that, that we can see that this morning. It's not a means of earning salvation. It is an expression of our love for the one who saved us. It is our, our declaration of our adoration for our big brother we want to be just like. That's what it is. That's what obedience is. Love looks like obedience. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that your word this morning challenges us, teaches us, may it encourage us. Lord, send us out in the world with this message of hope and salvation, this good news of a kingdom with a great high priest on its throne who rules justly and is merciful to thousands who love you and keep your commandments. God, we love you and we ask that you carry us into this week with, with humble joy, with, with humility, with a confidence, a humble confidence, recognizing your mighty hand at work in our lives. As we meet in our community groups this afternoon, Lord, I, I pray that we would stir one another up to love and to good works until we meet again here next Lord's Day. Lord, we pray that you would make it so. Carry us until then. In Jesus' name, amen.